Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I want to say a very special good morning uh, to the family of God. You know, it's one of my favorite, and I think Scripture's favorite, titles for the body of Christ is family, brothers and sisters together. And I think if we, uh, if we, if we lose that identity, we've, we've really want to have to forfeit a whole lot. Today we've been talking about being freshened in the Lord, and we've been talking about drawing off of His rest and uh, His promises and His faithfulness. And, you know, I've just, uh, over the last few months, we've really had to to decide if we're going to trust his faithfulness or not. Because we look at the circumstances around us, sometimes we scratch our head, don't we? And we wonder. And so I just want to remind you who are the people of faith. And you may be here this morning and not, and not a believer. I want to say welcome to you as well. But, uh, but for those of you who call yourself the body of Christ, the family of God, I just want to remind you that what we believe, we believe by faith. We don't have to trust our circumstances. We don't have to take our cues from uh, the realities around us. We take our cues from the faithful promises of, of God and the God of the miraculous. And he doesn't always choose to do miracles, uh, but, he, but he does always choose to walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And I think about, you know, as, a, as uh, your pastor, the difficulties uh, it is because, you know, God gives us certain gifts that, that drive us. And, uh, and, and one of those gifts for me is relating to the people of God, the family. And this year has been a very, very difficult one to be able to exercise those gifts in, to be able to be in hospital rooms, to be able to visit people in their homes, in their distresses, uh, and things like that have been really, really difficult for me. And I know it's been difficult for all of us to figure out how to exercise those giftings. And a lot of ways that we feel detached and separated from who we used to be. And we wonder if we really know who people are now. And everybody's views have kind of tweaked and shifted and changed. And uh, it's just, it's really easy to lose our stability. It's really easy to lose our footing. Uh, because everything that we used to cling to is in flux. And we don't really know what it is that our future looks like. And so in a lot of ways, let me encourage you, or let me encourage you in a lot of ways that this is okay for us. Because our feet are not planted upon the firm soil of the ground or upon our certain circumstances. Scripture over and over says that our feet are planted firmly in the Lord. And so whenever our world underneath us shift, it just reminds us that we need a better footing on something else. And so let me encourage you that though, though heaven and earth pass away, though the mountains be tossed into the sea, we ain't got nothing to worry about. Ultimately, we have nothing to worry about. And so today I want us to turn our attention to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Scripture has a whole lot to say. In fact, everything it says, it says to people who are in a state of flux, in a state of uncertainty, in a state of wonderment. Uh, that's who the Scripture was written to because that's the world that Jesus came into was to offer stability and a future and a hope. And he puts words in our mouth and he puts a hope in our heart and he puts people in our lives. And so it's important for us not to dismiss our current circumstances and our, to overlook uh, our 
our, I don't want to say fears, but our concerns, but to run headlong into them because that's where we'll find the rest that we need. And so we're talking about refreshment. Uh, before we get to Psalm 46, which is where we'll spend the most of our time, I, I've, I've been looking through the scripture again for my own personal need of, of the, the freshness that should come from the Lord and why don't I feel so fresh? You know what I mean? Anybody know what I mean? If the Bible promises a refreshment uh, from him, then why do I feel parched? Uh, and it's, you know, the, the just shall live by faith and we're going to be walking in faith, not, not certainty. Of course, but in Psalm 23, very, very familiar passage of Scripture, of course. We, we all probably could stand and quote Psalm 23. But verse 3 gives us a promise here. Verse 3 says, He restores my soul. You know that one? In all the, thing that the shepherd, things that the shepherd does for the sheep, one of the things is, He restores my soul. Now, I want to break that down for just a moment because I think it's something that we often miss, and it is a word for this day. The Hebrew word there for soul is nefesh. Now, it's an interesting word, and you hear me talk a lot about the body and the soul and the spirit, but this is another one of those indications that really bears itself out. When it says that he restores our soul, he's not talking about the eternal part of us. He's talking about the internal part of us. He's talking to us about the personality, the drive, the emotion, the where we think, where we process, where we have our being. He's talking about the self, the life, the, the created part of us that thinks and reasons, the appetite, the mind, the living being where our desires dwell, where our emotion is and our passions are. Okay, that's what nefesh means. It's a part of us that we possess whether you're a Christian or not. The second word that I want to draw your attention to is the word restore, which is a wonderful Hebrew word, shub. It just is kind of, you can say it later in practice, but it's a fun word to say, shub. It means to bring back to life. It means to take whatever is back to where it began. It means to move away from where it is back to a better place where it started. Now, the word that David is using here is not all, he's, he's going all the way back to that very first breath of life. What the Lord does is he, he causes us to, we are engaged, all right? We are engaged in life. And we are, we are, we struggle, we wrestle, we process we, uh, we engage. What he is saying is when we reach a point in our relationships, a point in our thought processes that we don't know what to do next, what the Lord does as our good shepherd is he helps us to retreat back to that origin place, back to that created in his image and likeness place, that place where our soul was complete and whole. That's what it means when he restores us back to the pre-sin state. Now that's wonderful because we've already went through the sinful processes. We have been restored by the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. What David is saying, I, I believe through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that we are engaged in the wrong fight. We're fighting the wrong fights. 
And what the Lord does when we are mentally in anguish or we're worried or we're, we're, uh, we're anxious or we're disappointed or we're frustrated or we're angry or we're fearful or we're in pain and we're trying to solve the problem, that's the wrong fight. Don't fight there. You will not win. Because the Lord is a good shepherd, he helps us to retreat back to that origin place where he is our shepherd, where he fights for us, where he does everything that we need for us. All we have to do is recognize his provision and his power. We're, we are probably the thing that we're most prone to do in this life is to fight the wrong war. And yes, there are issues that this life requires us to pay attention to. But if you fight the wrong war, if you go against the wrong enemy, you are going to have the wrong tools and the wrong resources. You will not have the right perspective. You will not have the right training. And sometimes I believe that's why we set ourselves up for failure. Now, there are every direction you look. This has probably always been true. We're just more aware of it. We're all on the same page. But every direction you look, the battles around us rage. And it's not just out external battles like viruses and politics and money and relationships. There's also internal battles as well. Worry, fear, apathy arrogance, pride, and judgment. And there's always going to be battles, internal ones and external ones. And our enemy is going to create these battles in our life to draw us off sides. And when we are drawn off sides, we engage in a war that does not belong to us. And our soul reverts to muscle memory and to nature. And so you can imagine my flesh has lost. My spirit has won. But right in the middle is where the battle is fought. Which direction am I going to go? And so when, the, when the, the enemy creates these battles all around us and I fall for the bait and I'm drawn off sides and I go into the worry, into the complexities of navigating it on my own and taking my own steps, what's going to happen? I'm going to start fighting in the flesh because I'm going to revert to what is natural. But what the Lord does is he restores our soul. When we recognize him and when we lean into him and when we listen to him and we obey him and we trust him as the shepherd, we have nothing but restoration. Listen, there has never been a greater opportunity for you to be drawn off sides than this day. And, and Satan is going to use every tactic at his disposal to draw you off sides. And when you're off sides, you will fight the wrong battle. You will, you will wage war in the wrong realm. Now, the scripture is very clear that we are already at war. Some are afraid of civil war. I don't know. Some are afraid of world war. I, again, I don't know. I know this. For those who are in the family of God, we've been at war since day one. We've just been fighting the wrong ones. If we were this intense about making disciples and following Jesus, we wouldn't be nearly as perplexed as we are right now. Don't let your minds get overtaken by the things you can see. Trust in the promises of God. Many of our souls, how we make decisions, how we feel, how we process, it's obvious we've been, already been drawn off sides. 
We're arguing about wrong things. What does Scripture say? Do not wrestle with flesh and blood. That's not where your fight is. Your fight is not here with these people or those people. What does he say? Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. I will get to Psalm 46. He says that the real battle is against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Well, I want to know, if I'm going to go to war, I want to know who the battle is with. So I did a little bit of study. Here's what, here's what I came across. The rulers, that word, and these words are really, really specific. This word ruler specifically means the one who was there at the start. Well, he's talking about the battle. So who is the one that was at the very start of the battle? Who drew us off sides as humanity from the very beginning? Satan himself, that serpent of old, that old dragon, drew us off sides. That's who our war is with. Now, he masquerades as all sorts of different things to draw you off sides. But that's who, that's who our battle is to be engaged in. He also says, but against authorities. Now, this is an incredibly interested word because I know that when we think of authorities, you think of people who have power over us. But that is not at all what this word means. It actually means the ability to choose. I want you to think about that for a moment. One of our greatest battles is in our own free will. Our ability to make right decisions. Yeah, you can direct that to Satan if you want, because that's how we get lured. But one of the greatest battles we'll ever face is that battle in here to choose right and wrong. That's who the authority is. Cosmic powers, literally that word in Greek is translated the, uh, the leaders of the world. Uh, not people, by the way. He's not talking about world leaders. He's talking about the leaders of the world, the gods of this age, Satan and his demons. He also uses the word against spiritual forces. That word means that which is inside or empowering the spirit of a man. But he says of evil. So again, it's the, the draw of Satan to lure us into the wrong battle, the spiritual forces that are inside of me that are drawing me to my flesh. That's where the battle rages. Half of the battle is in myself. Half of the battle is Satan trying to lure me off sides. Brothers and sisters, we cannot get taken that way. But our good shepherd leads us. Now, listen, we want a warrior, and Jesus is a warrior, but he's not, he is a warrior against his enemies, not with those who are with him. So listen, we don't need a warrior when Jesus is our shepherd. We need to just follow the shepherd. We need to follow the shepherd. He does not lead us around the battles. In fact, Scripture tells us he leads us right through them. But I think that's probably the greatest battle that we face right now. Is, is he with me? You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what's the promise? You are with me. And I know every one of us have lost people that we wonder when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, is he really there? You know, when you're grieving, that sometimes is when the Father seems the furthest away. But many times in Scripture, it says he's near to the brokenhearted. So what are you going to believe? This part in here that's trying to lure you off sides? or the promises 
of your sustainer and creator, Jesus Christ, when he tells you that I'm with you even to the end of the age? Which are you going to believe? Which are you going to trust? How you feel or what the scriptures say? And that's how you keep focused on the shepherd, right? Is he with me? Bad things happen. Is he with me? I didn't get what I wanted. Is he with me? I cannot control the situation that I'm in. Is he with me? I don't know how this is going to turn out. Is he with me? And when we ask this question, is he with me? That's when the battle really begins and we begin to fight the wrong fight. Just think of a person that's in water and can't swim. What do they do when they get most desperate? They flail their arms, just desperation. And I think when the world looks at Christianity right now, that's probably what they see. Christians who are in over their head, they don't know how to trust the promises of God and all we're doing is just flailing our arms. And it's not too attractive. All right, Psalm 46. Psalm 46 begins, I'm just going to look at verse 1 for just a few moments. God is our refuge and strength, a very present. That word very present means that he is, he always appears. A very present help in trouble. This psalm, I'm going to do a little, little history and we'll do a little word study this morning, but I want you to listen very closely because I really do believe as you process this later in your soul, in your being, you will find ongoing refreshment. Not refreshment in the moment, but as you allow the Holy Spirit to allow this to just drip into you, I believe that you'll find strength for days. This psalm was probably written around 700 B.C. or 722 B.C., 700 and some years before Jesus was born. Now, the Assyrians, um, I'm going to do a few word pictures in here too, but the Assyrians were led by King Sennacherib. That word Sennacherib, you know, everybody's named, and so you kind of get an idea of the identity of a person by how they were named. But uh, his, his, his mom and dad named him in, in this uh, Akkadian word actually means the moon god who has replaced his brothers. Now, history tells us that all of Sennacherib's brothers had already died. So whenever he was born, he was born as the moon god, at least in their estimation. Uh, by the way, his daddy thought he was God. And so as the sun god, of course, my son's not going to be the sun god. He's going to be the moon god. So just, it just makes sense. He was the son of Tiglath-Pileser, which, by the way, means my trust is in the son of God. Doesn't that sound good? My trust is in the son of God. Until you find out that their god was Asher, which is where they get the term Assyrians, and so what Tiglath-Pileser actually is named is, my trust is in the Son of God. They believed, the kings believed themselves to be sons of God. So ultimately, who is his trust in? My trust is in me. I'm the Son of God, right? Very appropriately. This is what gave... Tiglath-Pileser, if you go back and look at history, Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about him, just that he was, but history tells us a whole lot about these Assyrian kings. And one of the things is how devastating their army was, their military power. They were overwhelming. The world had never seen mighty men like this before. They had such confidence, such boldness, and a desire to conquer the world for their gods. Incredible, in fact, and unstoppable. 
Well, I mean, you can imagine if you truly believed that you were the son of God, how much bolder would you be? How much more confident would you be? How much more driven would you be to, to, to bring the message to the world of your strength? Just think about that for a moment. If I believed, truly believed that I was the son of God, how would I behave differently? And then I want you to remember the boldness and the power that these people had. And I want you just to see the illustration of we are the sons and daughters of God. And, and yet over and over we have Paul praying for boldness and confidence and the ability to speak to the world and to make disciples of all the nations. It's not much different. The difference is who is the God? So why is it that we have to work week after week after week to beg sons and daughters of God to walk into that confidence, into that boldness, and into that power, and into that influence? Tiglath-Pileser was trying to take over the world with dominion, fighting the wrong fights. We, brothers and sisters, have that ability to do just that, to bring in a kingdom not made of this world. So I want to encourage you in that. Don't think of yourself as, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. That needs to go away. What we need to do is say, we're a royal priesthood. We're a chosen generation. We are the very people of God. Jesus Christ lives in me. His, His spirit empowers me. That's who I am, and that's the confidence we ought to live in. In those days, Judah was ruled by a godly king named Hezekiah. Uh, He was a strong prophet named Isaiah, preached regularly in Jerusalem. And there was at this time a sense of revival. I want you just to lay this, man, it's so perfect. Just lay this over our current day, all right? There was a sense that God was up to something, that God was about to do something. But there was also this real sense of fear and uncertainty going on in the kingdom at the same time. It was this, it was this I don't know what's going to happen. Things don't look good on the horizon. But I know that God is doing something. We, we see God stirring and moving. Judah, which is the southern kingdom, Israel, the northern kingdom, this was the, uh, all of the, the other ten tribes. Judah was Judah and Simeon, these two tribes combined. And it's interesting to me that Simeon, I won't give you a big history lesson here, but uh, Simeon being one of the twelve sons uh, of Jacob, then, then well, I won't tell the whole story because I'll get lost in it. But he, he makes some not some great decisions, right? He goes in and, and there's a terrible tragedy in the family and he wants to, to be violent and, and is incredibly violent, he and his brother Levi. And, and they do some pretty damaging things. And, and uh, that's not the important part of this message. The important part of this message is that when Jacob gives blessings to all the sons, his blessing to Simeon was that he would be divided and scattered. That's not much of a blessing if you're waiting for the inheritance. You're going to be scattered, divided, and scattered. And so whenever there was this great divide between all of the children of of Jacob, Israel split into two parts. You had 12 brothers who went to the north and two brothers who went to the south, Judah and Simeon. That's who Judah is. All the other ones are to the north. And they were still called Israel. Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel, was actually located in Judah, not Israel. All of this is very important for later. You don't have to remember. I'll remind you, but it's just very important. And, and I love history. 
So there were rumors that were reaching Jerusalem, which was the capital of Judah, that the invincible forces of King Sennacherib of Assyria were on their way to destroy them. And by the way, they had destroyed every civilization up until this line. They were the first to use iron in their armor and their warfare. So they, they literally were unstoppable. Other nations had not figured out how to do this yet. And so they were, uh, that's what gave them the, the, the advantage. So this invading army represented the greatest military machine ever. They were absolutely the cruelest. War was unavoidable, and, and Judah knew it. King Hezekiah knew it. Now, when, when Sennacherib, as the king of the Assyrians, comes into Israel, he surrounds them on every border, which again, the northern part of this, of this area. Uh, he swarms them like locusts. He destroys them very, very quickly. He takes hundreds of thousands of them into captivity back into the homeland. And, and by the way, if you've ever heard the 10 lost tribes of Israel, that's where they got lost right there. They all, they got merged into the Assyrian Empire and they were lost in antiquity from then on. But you still have Simeon and Judah down here at the bottom. Now, when it's their time, Sennacherib comes into the south and uh, begins to does the same thing on all the borders, and he begins to march his way toward the center, which is Jerusalem. And everywhere he goes, he wins. He gets to the outer fortresses of Jerusalem, out to the walls, and that's where he camps out. And he's waiting. And Hezekiah gets word that Sennacherib is out there and has a letter saying, here I am, here's what you're going to pay me, and you're going to give up the, the terms of, of uh, surrender. Now, when, if you go to the British Museum of History, you're able, they, we have found there a, uh, a cylinder. There's, actually, there's like 40-some of them. And it's really crazy. It's one of the greatest discoveries of biblical archaeology. Of King Sennacherib has written annals of these exploits in Jerusalem and uh, in, not just Jerusalem, but Judah and, uh, and Israel. He, he gives lots of details, even down to the numbers of people he takes captive. And they're all on display. Well, one of those is called the, the Taylor Cylinder. And in that, he talks about marching all the way to Jerusalem. And he laughs on the cylinder, chiseled into stone. He laughs about having King Hezekiah caged in like a bird. And then not another word. There's not another word. He moves on to the very next thing and it's, he's off doing something else. It's like, well, wait, I must be missing a cylinder or tablet or something because he, he misses the entire point of the story. But right here, we find the rest of the story. The rest of the story is this. Hezekiah takes that letter and he lays it out before the Lord and he says, God, everywhere these people have gone, they have won and they've taken the gods of all of these people and they've thrown them into the fire and they were burned because they were only stone and wood. But you, Lord, you are the one that can deliver us. And we trust you. And I will not give up to these people. And he goes out. Overnight, there was a single angel. I know you already know this story, just reminding you. There was a single angel dispatched from heaven that came down to earth and killed over 150,000 Assyrians. The next morning, Sennacherib was gone. That's why he didn't write about it. He couldn't figure it out. 
How in the world did these people? All because one man leaned upon the Lord instead of getting drawn into the wrong battle. It's very important for us to learn this. Very important. Most scholars believe that Psalm 46 was written as a praise chorus to commemorate Hezekiah's defeat of Sennacherib. So let's read it again with that idea. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I want you to notice what the psalmist actually does say, that God is not a refuge. He is our refuge. There does not exist another one. If you want to be safe, listen, if you want to go and Google movies about a panic room or movies about a safe room, they all have the same theme. They get breached. Because everybody wants a place of safety. But we all know there does not exist in this world a safe place that guarantees your safety. It doesn't exist. I don't care how thick the walls. Every nation has been defeated. No nation can stand on its own forever. There is no place of safety. But God is our refuge. Not an option. Our refuge There's no place in this world that's safe except that place confident in the identity of Jesus Christ. This word refuge occurs many times just in the book of Psalms. And I I believe the reason that it does is because he gives us a really full picture of it. And so very quickly, I'm not going to elaborate on any of these, but very quickly, I just want to break down a couple of those. In Psalm 18, verse 2, he says, My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. Now, it's interesting that this was written by King David. He also wrote Psalm 71, Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. David always resorted to hiding out in the caves when he was being pursued by the enemy. And David didn't want to fight the wrong enemy. David didn't want to get lured to the wrong side. And so what David would do is retreat down into the cave system and nobody could find him. And I think that's what David was writing about here, that God is our rock. God is that that place that we can retreat into and find safety and breathe and our pursuers can't find us there because we are completely protected and hedged about. Secondly, in Psalm 18, verse 30, it says that the Lord's word is flawless. He shields all. All who take refuge in him. Psalm 119 verse 114 says, You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Now in biblical times, what what warriors would do is they would hide themselves behind these shields and it would deflect the arrows and the swords of the enemy. Oh, listen, the arrows were very real and the swords are very sharp, but they were protected behind the shield. Third, God is our refuge, like a tower. Psalm 61.3 says, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. There the refuge and the tower is the same. As our tower, the Lord gives us preservation and, and actually elevation. And you think about shooting arrows up. You know, they lose speed from the very moment they go because gravity is not our friend. Well, most of the time. But he begins to neutralize the attack because he elevates us above the enemy in this safe place. 
Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a safe tower, a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and they're safe. He also says that the refuge is like a shelter. In Psalm 31, verse 19 and 20, it says, How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. Listen to this. One step further, you keep them safe in your dwelling, even from accusing tongues. Now listen, people, people's words hurt. And if we're not careful and take someone else's position into mind, we can say things, and even if they're true, and we can do a lot of damage with our words. But the Lord says whenever you are damaged with words, He is, he is a shelter for us. When God is our refuge, and listen, people are still going to say stuff, but we begin to, when we are in Him, we hear what He hears. We hear what He says, rather. We hear what He says. In the refuge, there's identity. The world is going to say all kinds of things about you, about your beliefs, about your faith, about your influence, about your God. But when you are in Him as your shelter, you get to listen to what He says about you not what the world says about you. If you respond to what the world thinks about you, number one, you won't take a stand about anything. Number two, you'll be, you'll be so concerned, you'll eventually just drift off into people who agree with you on everything. But the worst thing is you'll be drawn off sides into the wrong battle, and you'll begin to wage war against people who are not your enemies, and we will lose the ability to provide peace and a kingdom built upon peace. So him being our shelter is very important to listen to the words of the one who draws us in. Fifth, God is our refuge. In Psalm 15, 57, verse 1, David said, I take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. In Psalm 91, verse 4, he says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. You remember what Jesus said when he looked at Jerusalem and he saw them as people without a shepherd, sheep with no shepherd? And he said, Oh, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen her chicks, but you would not come. Last one is, God is our refuge like a fortress. In Psalm 59, verse 16, you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. Psalm 91, 2 says, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, why did I bring all of this up? Just simply to say this, we get a really good picture of what we can hope for when God is our refuge. So important for us to remember who we are, whose we are. So when you feel threatened, when you feel fearful, when you feel accused, even if it's from your own head, even when they're right, close your eyes and picture God as your only refuge. Picture those strengths around us. When you get nervous, when you get fearful, when you can't turn off the news, when you can't turn off your coworker, just picture yourself in the refuge of God and his protection. These pictures provide mental help. That's where we need it. Listen, we already lost the battle physically. We've already won spiritually. Where we need refreshment and the daily strength is the mental help to remember who to lean into, which battle to engage. You must see God as your refuge in order your thinking around that.
You, you're never going to know what's going to happen next. But it doesn't matter what happens next. Circumstances change. The refuge never changes. Worst possible scenario does not affect the refuge. But what about all the garbage that we find ourselves in? Well, over the last couple of weeks, one of the things that we all have in common is we've lost people that we love and know. People that were once a part of our family, still a part of our family. What about that, Pastor? How does God being our refuge help with those pains? Or when you're worried about, you know, what kind of day is it when people have to die all by themselves because they can't see people that they love except through glass? What about God being my refuge then? What about, what about Americans being radicalized one way or the other, believing lies one way or the other? Does it really matter? One thing for sure, it sure doesn't look like he's much of a refuge. No, 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 he's a refuge. We're fighting the wrong battles. We're allowing other things to become our refuge. We're allowing our opinions to become our refuge. We're allowing our freedoms to become our refuge. One thing's for certain, our circumstances are not powerful against the refuge. And I think God is giving us a great opportunity to gain a new footing and a new ability to see what we're actually called to do here. Now again, bad things happen. People still pass. But what I, want you, what I want us to understand is this. And this, hopefully this will give, give us all an opportunity to, to at least think through some of this. Because I'm wrestling. I want to have a word. My, my faith hasn't shifted but I want to have a word because people are struggling to make sense of this. You say God's good, look at the world. <laughs> well, so there, there is devastation in every direction. You can be in the refuge and bad things still happen. People still die. People still get sick. Governments are still overtaken and move on. Things happen still, even when you are in the refuge. But here's what you can know for sure. When you are in the fortress, when you are wrapped and he is around you, protecting you, the things that you go through will have purpose and meaning for his kingdom to be established. Listen, if you're not in the refuge, bad things still happen. And they're senseless and they're pointless and they're painful. But when you are in him, the things that you experience will at least have meaning. Yes, people will still die. Just because God is your refuge does not mean you won't get sick. But what it does mean is that he is with you in the sickness and he gives words to you in the sickness and he's, he puts a salve in your soul when you're sick and he gives you this peace that passes all understanding when you are in the refuge. Now you still may get sick, but if you're not in the refuge, you're flailing your arms like a drowning person. So where would you rather struggle with the humanity of life, when the depravity of nature, with your arms failing, flailing, or centered in the peace? When the when the though the mountains be tossed into sea, I have a peace that passes all understanding. 
Though the storms rage, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter. I am saying that my life wasn't here anyway. My life was for his glory. You can only live that way when you've been depending upon him as your refuge. And by the way, he's your strength. I want you to notice he says he is your strength, not he gives you strength. He is your strength. That he takes you in to the shelter, the fortress under his wings, that he takes you into the cave system that protects you, that's one thing. But the other side is he's also your strength on the outside. So while you are safe inside, he is providing safety on the outside. That's like a double portion there. He's your refuge. He's your place of retreat. He's your place where your soul can be restored. But he's also your strength. He's also your ability to overcome whenever bad things do still happen. You'll still be able to stand firm and not wilt and flail. He is. God is. God is a help. God is a very present. God is a very present help. God is a very present help in times of trouble. That's the glue that holds it all together. God is everything that we need to be refreshed and restored, to have our feet firmly planted. He is everything that we need. We need to learn how to lean on him. And he is everything we need on the inside. He's everything we need on the outside. And whenever there is a breach, he is our help in times of trouble. We just need to remember to listen to his words. Listen to his promises. Do not interpret your life by your circumstances, but by his word. And that's where you'll find refreshment. He's good in us. He's good out of us. And he is always at work, very present at any moment, always appearing. So I say all of that to simply remind brothers and sisters, you're not alone. You're not alone. He's walking right alongside you. And from the days of, well, before Hezekiah, but certainly from the days of Hezekiah, when he looks out and he says, Lord, I know this battle is not mine. The battle belongs to you. I'm just going to lean on you in prayer and you give me what you need me to have today. And the Lord does the fighting for us. We need to only stand still. So there is battles raging. Make sure you're fighting the right ones. Make sure that the battles that you are facing, the battles that you're waging war in, focus on eternity. Sharing your faith, being the kind of person that others will look to and ask, what is this hope that is within you? Why are you different from everybody else in the world? And that's where you'll find refreshment in your soul. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. I just pray your blessing over it. I pray that above everything that we remember, that we remember that you are our refuge and strength and a very present help in times of trouble. We can learn and lean in on that. We can learn to trust your faithfulness. We can remember that every promise you make is yes and amen. And, and people die. And we lose loved ones. And we experience trouble and tribulation. 
and we go through disease and sickness and, and, and poverty and starvation and loss of relationships and questions about jobs and money and all sorts of things continue to happen. But there is always this peace that abides, this peace that passes our ability to understand it, this, this hope that we have that this world is not our home. This is not where we belong anyway. We are just aliens. We're just pilgrims passing through this strange land. And while we're here, Lord, may we point other people to you. May we make disciples because we've been made disciples who follow you. And may we not get caught off sides. May we not resort to muscle memory, but may we develop this desire to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, and to make sure that our treasure isn't in our money, our relationships, in our retirement accounts. Our treasure isn't in our influence. Our treasure isn't in, in the power in this world, but our treasure is stored up in heaven because, Lord, that's where our refuge is. So we may we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And while there's devastation all around us, Lord, may we just, may we just point people to Jesus. May we do, may, may we be a continuation and a, and a work in the power of the Spirit and just remind people of who you are. In a world where we're, we're growing in closer, it's getting closer and closer to not being able to be as vocal as we once were able to be. May we still walk boldly. May we walk with confidence and power because we know who our Father is. We know who our God is. And we know who lives in us. So I just pray, Lord, blessings over our family here this morning. I pray that you would use us, rise us up, Lord, to be a city set on a hill. Rise us up that we might be a fortress that reminds people of the true fortress, that we might be a safe place, that we might provide spiritual strength as a continuation of your ministry in us. Everything you do for us, Lord, may it flow through us. And we pray, and we pray this now, Lord, for the glory of Jesus Christ in whom we have all these things. In his name we pray, amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.